Welcome to Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. You probably have a lot of curiosity about your family history, but not a lot of time. And that's why I created this podcast. In each episode, I'm going to give you the tools that you need to uncover your family tree in quick and easy ways. This episode is the second of a series of three where we are going to answer all of your questions about family history centers. And my very special guest is friend of the show, Marjorie Bell, Assistant Director of the Oakland Family History Center in Oakland, California. She has over 35 years of experience working in family history centers and is the perfect choice for our audio-guided tour. In our first segment, she'll prep us for our visit, including a terrific handout for you to download and reveal the subscription websites that you can use for free at the Family History Center. What are you going to find? You're going to find somebody with a smile. You're going to find somebody waiting to say, can I help you? Because uh, our patronage right now is not as high as we would like to see it. So we are often uh, better staffed than patronized. Uh, not always. We have days that we're really busy. Um, but you can usually find someone to help. We have a Family History Center portal that is provided by the church where they have made financial agreements with various websites. So we all have Heritage Quest, we all have Godfrey Library, World Vital Records, that's right, worldvitalrecords.com. Regional centers, in addition, have Ancestry.com and Genline. Then, in our second segment, Marjorie discusses making copies in all forms, the future of digitizing microfilm, and the future of family history centers. I hope it's all digitized. Yeah. <laughs> Although there is something, there's something, I don't know, zen-like about yes. using a microfilm. <laughs> but um, no, the church is in the process now of digitizing the whole microfilm collection. We are now able to digitize an entire roll of microfilm in one picture. If you can imagine a 250-foot long, 2-inch high digital picture, then those can be divided into individual pages, checked for quality, and put up on the internet page by page. I think there's always going to be a place to go to talk to somebody who knows more than you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, a place to network and get some classes and say, how on earth do I organize all this paperwork? All those things. A Family History Center can help you with that. Last week, Marjorie Bell introduced us to the Family History Center and walked us step-by-step through the process of ordering and using microfilm. She also discussed the wide range of resources beyond microfilm that you will find at both your local Family History Center and any of the larger 14 regional centers. So let's head back to our conversation and see what else we'll find with Marjorie's help. 
once we've located the family history center that is closest to our home and, and we uh, head in there and we've got some ideas about what we want to accomplish, um, what can we expect when we walk in the door and are there rules or regulations to keep in mind? Uh, you know, I know there are some locations where you walk in, they'll say nothing but a pencil. So mm-hmm. we don't want to break any rules. Tell us what to expect when we come to a family history center. Um, one thing to realize is that you're on church property. And so modest dress is, uh, you'll, you, you will find yourself uncomfortable uh, in halter tops and short shorts and that kind of thing. We, we, um, we don't dress up, but we dress modestly, uh, like we would in any church, uh, on church property. You will not be allowed to smoke, uh, because our, we don't do coffee and tea. You won't find a coffee machine there. Um, probably no one would throw you out if you brought a cup, but depending on the center and how strict they are, you might find that there was a problem with that. But there's no smoking on church property. Other than that, what are you going to find? You're going to find somebody with a smile. You're going to find somebody waiting to say, can I help you? Because... Uh, our patronage right now is not as high as we would like to see it, so we are often better staffed than patronized. Uh, not always. We have days that we're really busy, but you can usually find someone to help. You may come, and for instance, if you're doing Czechoslovakian research, you may find that you come in on a Tuesday to a library and nobody knows how to help you. But ask, because the chances are they'll have a list of people in the area that do Czechoslovakian research that are willing to help. I know certainly in our library we have quite a lengthy list of people, both uh, staff and just patrons, who say, hey, if you ever run into trouble with Nova Scotia or Quebec or whatever, I'd be happy to come in and help. So we can help you make an appointment or contact somebody by email, or there might be a day that our Swedish researcher works. So there's usually somewhere, someone that you can find that could help you with your research. I had an experience with that because I was trying to do some German research, and I knew that the folks were from East Prussia, but I also had a name of a town. Uh, Actually, I thought it was a person. But it turned out it was the name of a town. It was something my grandmother had scrawled on a piece of paper. And um, the person who was staffing at the desk didn't know German research, but she said, oh, I know John, and John is here almost every day, and he's he's transcribing all of these German records. Let me go get him. And I sat down with John, and he was more than happy to not only uh, interpret some of the German words for me, he helped identify the fact that I wasn't looking at a name, I was looking at a place, and showed and introduced me to gazetteers, which was very exciting and, and a wonderful resource there at the library. So, um, as you say, you know, oftentimes the staff there will be familiar with the patrons who are regulars, who also have areas of expertise, and again, what a great resource to tap into. Oh, we actually have signs with patrons that have... Uh offered to help. Uh-huh. When we when we see them walk in the door, we posted the sign that says that they're there <laughs> to help with German or with yeah. whatever. That They're very happy to do that. Also, in a family history center, you will find uh, subscription websites so that you don't have to pay for every subscription website that's out there. And there are a lot of them, and it's possible to spend a lot of money on genealogy websites. Well, let's talk about that in depth. One, would we expect to find that at just most family history centers, or is that still sporadic? 
All family history centers now have access to some paid websites. They all have internet access. They all have it. They sh- well, they should. <laughs> I can't speak for the ones in Europe. I, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, especially in some of the really remote areas, but we certainly are all authorized to have high-speed Internet in every center. We have a Family History Center portal that is provided by the church where they have made financial agreements with various websites. So we all have Heritage Quest. We all have Godfrey Library. World Vital Records? World Vital Records, Mm -hmm. that's right. WorldVitalRecords.com. Regional centers, in addition, have Ancestry.com and Genline, which is a Swedish Swedish. Uh, Swedish records. And then some family history centers also pay for some of their own uh, subscription websites. So I know there are several in this area that have New England Ancestors.org, which is the New England Historic and Genealogical website. Wasn't there some kind of an agreement with Find My Past, the British website? No, not yet, although our regional library has just purchased that, so you do have free access to Find My Past in our library. And right now we have a a free access to um, Genealogy Bank, which has newspapers, thousands of newspapers. And that just came to us. We don't know if we're evaluating it to see if the church is going to get it for all centers or not. I just don't know what that is right now. We just barely got it this week. And I know for many of those websites, for them, it's an opportunity to get some exposure to patrons who may not have otherwise had a chance to take a look. Um, And certainly, if you enjoyed or particularly you're doing Swedish research and you know you're going to be using this ongoing, you might then invest in having a subscription at home. But um, it really is nice. You are free to walk into a family history center, sit down at a computer as long as it's not being occupied, and you can start using subscription websites. It's something that not everybody's aware of, but it's certainly a valuable resource. That's right. And uh, and it just depends on the center. Some of them with a limited number of computers might have you sign up for a computer. Okay. Um, ask if they have any kind of a policy like that. In our center, uh, you just sit down. We almost always have an empty computer, so... it great that we can use subscription websites for free at our local family history center well let's head back to our interview where she's going to cover the wide range of ways that you can make copies of your findings including digital as well as on paper and how microfilms are being digitized for use online and finally the future of the family history center And what about if we find something or we're looking at a digitized document, uh, is there a way to print when we're at a center? Okay. (laughs) For sure. For sure. And in in many of our centers now, we have scanners that you can scan digitally, microfilm, microfiche, or paper copy, and then save it to a CD, a flash drive, email at home, a number of different things that you can do. Should we come equipped with our own burnable CDs? Do you have them there? I know we could bring our own flash drive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We we do mostly flash drives now, but we do sell CDs if you needed one. If you brought your own, that's fine. Do you still photocopy pages from books? I know that oh, there yeah. are sometimes concerns about the older books. You don't want to damage them constantly opening them up flat. So tell us what we um, should expect and what we can do at a, a center in regards to books. And that's really going to depend on the center. 
Okay. We are very fortunate in that we have our own book bindery in our center. Oh. And so if a book starts to get a little dilapidated, we just simply rebind it. But um, not all family history centers have that capability. And so you may find certain books that you're not allowed to photocopy. And they'd be marked accordingly. You'd have to ask that in your center. And then could you ask the staff if there's other alternatives, or would you just need to sit down and maybe transcribe what you're looking you at? Could, you could transcribe it. You could certainly always photograph it if oh, you okay. want to bring a digital camera with you. And that brings me to, it seems like everybody's got a laptop these days. <laughs> um, are we free to bring in our laptop? Is there a way to plug it in if we need to? Uh, what kind of electronics can we bring in? Well, now, see, now you're asking me in the regional center ah, versus okay. a small center. Okay. I don't think anyone is going to tell you you can't bring it. We would certainly encourage you to bring your laptop. We're looking in our center about uh, ways to secure the laptops. I know that in the Salt Lake Library, they have anchor plates on each table where you can lock your laptop. We're looking at finding um, those. We are looking at electrifying some of our tables. We have a few tables that are close enough to electrical outlets now, but we're looking at expanding that because certainly the wave of the future. Well, I know with my laptop, it doesn't go longer than 30 minutes. It's yeah. just terrible. Um, and, and also there is, I mean, obviously you'd like to believe that everybody is um, there for the same reason, but uh, I've wondered about that. You bring a laptop in, you set it at the table, and then you want to go and peruse some bookshelves, and there's a little bit of timidity about, oh, do I want to leave it sitting there by itself? So that's what you mean about the capacity to perhaps be able to to secure it to the secure. table yes okay you can always put around the table leg but somebody really wanting to could try to lift one of those tables and maybe sneak it out i think it would be difficult but uh we're looking at at getting some little um anchor plates that you can actually have a loop on them that you can that is, is secured to the table so that you can put your lock through that that's certainly one thing that's always impressed me about the Family History Centers and the Family History Library in Salt Lake City. You, you guys are not behind the times. You are so up to speed with the technology, um, doing some incredibly innovative things on the website. And we have to talk more about that in just a minute. But we were talking about ordering the microfilms. We, we know now how we can access books. Microfilm readers, you mentioned that you think that the future will be that they're digitizing the oh, microfilm. Yeah. What? would we expect in the future right now we're sitting down we're still putting that film up on the microfilm reader and we're cranking through looking at the pages do you think that will always be the case or do you really think that down the road it's going to get all digitized i hope it's all digitized (laughs) although there is something there's something i don't know zen like about using a microfilm (laughs) but um no the church is in the process now of digitizing the whole microfilm collection there's going to always probably be some that they can't uh, digitize only because we have to renegotiate. It's my understanding, and I'm not in on the in crowd in this, but my understanding is that we have to renegotiate the agreements that we made when we originally filmed a oh, courthouse. Sure. We agreed that that would never leave the premises of a family history center, which is why you can't order a microfilm and then take it home with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't leave our property. We keep control of it. Now, if we're going to put it up on the World Wide Web, we have to renegotiate those agreements before we can do that. My understanding is that 
that the majority, the vast majority of those records will be digitized. We are now able to digitize an entire roll of microfilm in one picture. If you can imagine a 250 foot long, two inch high digital picture, then those are, can be divided into individual pages, checked for quality, and put up on the internet page by page. And you can see that if you go to uh, our familysearch.org website and click on search and record search pilot. I believe it's something like 30 million names that were indexed last year and are now free up there. Uh, recently I checked in my Vermont land records. The grantee grantor indexes and the deeds are up there. Ready well, for you, you can to now check. look at digitized because it wasn't that long ago where, although there were amazing amounts of information on the Family Search website, you weren't looking at digitized pages. That's all changing. No, you're looking at original records now. I mean, well, that always remained free because that website yes. has always been free. Yes, that's just amazing to that's me. That's going to be free. I don't know what that's going to do to some of our subscription websites. It's a little scary. <laughs> but yes, the, um, as far as I know, at this point, uh, the church has never charged for that kind of access. Um, and we are making agreements with other organizations to give them our technology in exchange for access to their pictures. Which reminds me, another one of the subscription websites available free in all family history centers is footnote.com, which is indexing, uh, digitizing and indexing the records of the National Archives. And don't quote me on this, but my understanding is we gave them the technology. They're giving us the images. So, Wonderful. Uh, so that gives you Revolutionary War pension records, yes. um, Civil War pension indexes already, and hopefully someday the actual pension records. Wow. But uh, there's a lot of things out there that are getting digitized. So even when we head into a family history center, very likely we're going to still find ourselves back at the computer right. and using that website right. interactively while we're there also yes. still tapping into microfilms that are not yet digitized and, right. and books I mean, you know, it's going to be a long time, and there's always new books. So there's always something that just needs to be visited in person, isn't there? Yes, and, and you know, we can get at home, if we don't have the genealogy expertise to know how to use those records, I think there's always going to be a place um, to go to talk to somebody who knows more than you do, mm-hmm. uh, a place to network and get some classes and say, how on earth do I organize all this paperwork? All those things. A Family History Center can help you with that. We'll be back with more family history right after this. I got an email from listener Jean Pereira, who was looking for some advice. She's lucky enough to be making a trip to the Family History Library in Salt Lake City and was looking for some tips on how to prepare so that she can make the most out of her visit. She writes, Hi, Lisa. Thanks for your recent podcast about the Family History Library in Salt Lake City. The topic is very timely as I am planning a trip to the library in August. Hearing you describe the library facilities makes it sound daunting to even find one's way around. I had already decided the first thing I would need to do is to get an orientation, as you suggested. My biggest challenge is getting organized ahead of time so I can make the best use of my time when there. I've started making a spreadsheet of resources that I want to look for, the surname of the ancestor and what I'm looking for in that resource. 
Hopefully, I will be able to sort information so that I can look for more than one person in the same resource if applicable. Perhaps it is too late, but I'd be interested in what else one should do to prepare for such a trip, and tips for making the most of one's time there. I'm looking forward to the next one on using local family history centers. I've gone a few times to my local center, but I'm probably not using it as well as I could. I enjoy all the podcasts you do, and now that I've caught up on all the back ones, I look forward each week to the new ones. Usually, I listen while I'm working around the house. That way, I can stop and run to my computer. If you say something, I want to check in the show notes or make sure I remember. Thanks for sharing your knowledge, Jean Pereira. Well, thanks so much for your kind words, Jean, and for writing in. Um, you know, all the information that we are covering in this three-part series is applicable to the Family History Library in Salt Lake City because, after all, the Family History Centers are sort of satellite branches of the library itself. But of course, you'll find five floors of books and microfilm and microfiche, as we talked about in that episode 16 at the library, right there at your fingertips, rather than having to order them. So, in the show notes for this episode number 18, I will have a link to a document which will help you specifically prepare for your visit to the library in Salt Lake City. It's appropriately called "Preparing for Your Visit," and it's a PDF file that you can download and you can print it out. I'll also have a link that will take you directly to a page from the Family Search website that will help you further, and it includes lots of links to other resources that will again help you get prepared. As far as your research goes, you're really on the right track.、Uh, what I always recommend doing before you visit the library in Salt Lake City is to comb through that online catalog and select the items that you're most interested in reviewing in person while you're there. You can copy the key information. Um, from the item in the catalog, such as the title of the item,、um, the film number, or the book call number, and just paste it into a simple Word document or a spreadsheet like you're using, and then go through and prioritize them. That's really key because chances are you're going to find more things than you're going to have time to look at. So I go through and I try to put them into three categories: mark number one for top priority, number two items, number three items. And specifically, I would really focus in on books because books don't circulate to the family history centers, and they can only be viewed in the library in Salt Lake City. So you'll want to take a look at those first, make your photocopies, make sure and bring a digital camera with you so that you can take photographs of pages as well, which might save you a few dollars in copying costs. But overall, your spreadsheet sounds great and could really incorporate a lot of these ideas. And it sounds like you're like me. I, I listen to lots of podcasts, and I always do it while I'm doing my housework and my ironing. Kind of makes the work lighter. So, thanks so much for writing. Have a wonderful time on your trip, and I hope you find lots of goodies. In our final episode in this three-part series on family history centers, Marjorie Bell will talk about educational opportunities through the centers, and she'll give us her seven top tips for getting the most out of your visit. And we'll wrap up with some wonderful inspirational stories of genealogical serendipity. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of the show. You'll find the show notes for this episode, which include all the links I've talked about, at my website, genealogygems.com. And there, you'll also discover a lot more tips and tools for finding your family history in my podcasts, the blog posts, books, and videos. Become a Genealogy Gems Premium member, and you're also going to get access to exclusive content 
like my full-length video classes and the premium podcast episodes. We have a new one of those coming out every month. Now, if you have any questions about this episode, or if you'd like to share your experiences on how the podcast has impacted your own family history journey, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 925-272-4021 and we might just play it here on the show. Thanks so much for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon.